Hello, this is Dr. Pengshen Chen, the editor in chief of Heart Rhythm. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The first article in the November 2023 issue is titled "Mortality and Ventricular Arrhythmias in Patients on DL Sotolo for Rhythm Control of Atrial Fibrillation: A Nationwide Cohort Study." This population-based cohort study included AF patients from the Swedish National Patient Registry, 2006 to 2017, who underwent rhythm control after a second cardioversion. Among patients treated with DL Sotolol and a beta blocker, all-cause mortality was lower in patients treated with DL Sotolol. The difference in mortality persisted. In the propensity score matched comparison, the authors conclude no excess mortality with DL sotolol compared with cardio-selective beta blockers in patients undergoing rhythm control treatment for AF after a second cardioversion. The next one is guided implantation of the Lilas left ventricular endocardial electrode and acoustic transmitter using computed tomography anatomy. Dynamic perfusion and the mechanics and the predicted activation pattern. The WISE CRT system permits Lilas left ventricular pacing. The authors developed a novel CT protocol using pre-procedural imaging and simulation to identify target segments for electrode implantation. During electrode implantation, biventricular pacing. Within target segments, resulted in a significant improvement in acute hemodynamic response versus non-acute hemodynamic response. The authors conclude that pre-procedural imaging and modeling data with intra-procedural guidance can successfully guide wise CRT electrode and the transmitter implantation to allow optimal acute hemodynamic response and adequate power delivery. Up next is worsening tricuspid regurgitation associated with permanent pacemaker and implantable cardioverter defibrillator implantation. A systemic review and a meta-analysis of over 66,000 subjects. The authors analyzed 29 studies with 66,590 participants. Patients who underwent device implantation were significantly more likely to develop worsening tricuspid regurgitation than controls who did not undergo device implantation. Worsening tricuspid regurgitation post-device implantation significantly increases mortality. There is no statistically significant difference between the type of implantable device, that is ICD versus pacemaker. And post-device implantation tricuspid regurgitation. The authors conclude that many patients undergoing permanent pacemaker or ICD implantation are at an increased risk of worsening tricuspid regurgitation. Worsening tricuspid regurgitation significantly increases mortality by greater than 140 percent. Accordingly, deserving more recognition and clinical attention. In the current era, the next one is differences among young unwitnessed sudden cardiac deaths according to time from last seen alive. Insights from a 15-year nationwide study. The authors 
identified and witnessed certain cardiac death subjects aged 1 to 35 years in Denmark from 2000 to 2014. Of 440 unwitnessed sudden cardiac death subjects, 366, or 83%, had not been seen alive within one hour of being found dead. Comorbidities differed between the groups with more epilepsy and psychiatric diseases in the 24-hour group. Having been seen within one hour deaths independently decreased the chance of being autopsied. The authors conclude that the most witnessed sudden cardiac death subjects had not been seen alive within one hour of being found dead, excluding sudden cardiac death cases not seen alive within one hour of being found dead, would severely underestimate the burden burden of sudden cardiac death. Up next is phenotypic variability of filament C related cardiomyopathy. Insights from a novel Dutch founder variant. Dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM, can be caused by truncating variants in the filament C gene, or FLNC. A new pathogenic FLNC variant was recently identified in Dutch patients with dilated cardiomyopathy. 33 individuals, of whom 23 or 70% were female, from nine families were identified. Sudden cardiac death was the first presentation in a carrier at the age of 28 years. A shared haplotype spanning 2.1 megabase was found in all haplotyped individuals. The variant originated between 275 and 650 years ago. The authors conclude that this pathogenic FLNC variant is a founder variant originating from the south of the Netherlands. Carriers are susceptible to developing heart failure and ventricular arrhythmias. The cardiac phenotype is characterized by ring-like late gadolinium enhancement, even in individuals without significantly reduced left ventricular function. Coming up is EP. Epidemiology of pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest compared with adults. The purpose of this study was to outline the characteristics and the causes of pediatric OHCA or POHCA in patients enrolled in the end unexplained cardiac death registry in Victoria, Australia, which has a population of 605 million. The analysis included 106 cases after adjudication, 45 or 42.5 percent of which were due to cardiac causes of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest or OHCA. Unascertained or n equals to 33 or 31.1 percent is the most common cardiac cause reported. Respiratory events: 28 patients or 26.4 percent were the most common non-cardiac cause of pediatric out-of-hospital out of cardiac arrest. The overall survival to hospital discharge rate was 11.3%. In conclusion, the incidence of uh, pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrest in the study population was 3.69 over 100,000 child years. The most common etiology was non-cardiac. 
Prognostic factors associated with survival to discharge included increasing age, witnessed arrest, and initial ventricular arrhythmias. Rates of cardiopulmonary resuscitation and defibrillation were suboptimal. Up next is ischemia-induced ventricular proarrhythmia and cardiovascular autonomic dysreflexia after cardioneural ablation. The authors developed a percutaneous cardioneural ablation model by ablating left and right-sided ganglionic plexi. After cardioneural ablation, extracardiac vagal nerve stimulation responses remained abolished for six weeks. In the cardioneural ablation group only, direct vagal nerve stimulation resulted in paradoxical increases in blood pressure. Left sympathetic chain stimulation, stimulation induced significant correct QT interval prolongation in the cardioneural ablation group versus the sham group. VT and VF after left anterior descending ligation was more prevalent and occurred earlier in the cardioneural ablation group than in the control group. The authors conclude that the cardiac vagal denervation is maintained long-term after cardioneural ablation in a porcine model. However, chronic cardioneural ablation was associated with cardiovascular dysreflexia, diminished cardioprotective effects of cardiac vagal tone, and increased susceptibility to VTVF in ischemia. These potential long-term negative effects of cardioneural ablation suggest that the need for rigorous clinical studies in cardioneural ablation. The next one is uh, sumoylation of the cardiac sodium channel NAV 1.5 modifies inward current and cardiac excitability. A recent report concluded that acute hypoxia increases late sodium current by increasing a small ubiquitin-like modifier, sumoylation, at K442-NAV 1.5. The purpose of this study was to determine whether and by what mechanisms sumoylation alters sodium current, late sodium current, and the cardiac electrophysiology. Sodium current was measured by patch clamp with or without SUMO1 overexpression in HEK293 cells expressing wild type or K442R- NAV 1.5 and in neonatal red cardiac myocytes. They found that NAV 1.5 was sumoylated in HEK293 cells, neonatal red cardiac myocytes, and human heart tissue. The results of the study show that sumoylation of K442-NAV 1.5 increases peak sodium current without changing the late sodium current, at least in part by altering membrane abundance. These findings do not support sumoylation as a mechanism for changes in late sodium current. NAV 1.5 sumoylation may modify arrhythmic risk in disease states and represents a potential target for pharmacological manipulation. The above original articles are followed by two contemporary reviews. The first one is titled Left Septal Fascicular Block, Evidences, 
causes, and the diagnostic criteria. In this review, the authors have updated the criteria for left septal fascicular block, or LSFB, and the differential diagnosis of prominent anterior QRS forces. More and more evidence points to the fact that the main cause of LSFB, or left septal fascicular block, is critical proximal stenosis of the left anterior descending coronary artery before its first septal perforator branch. The most important characteristics of left septal fascicular block that has been incorporated in the corresponding diagnostic ECG criteria is its transient or intermittent nature, mostly observed in clinical scenarios of acute or chronic ischemic coronary artery disease. The authors propose intermittent left septal fascicular block has the same clinical significance as Wellens syndrome or the De Winter pattern in the acute coronary syndrome scenario. A second contemporary review is provocation testing in congenital long QT syndrome, a practical guide. Long QT syndrome provocation testing involves assessing repolarization during and after exercise in response to changes in heart rate or autonomic tone with patients with LQT syndrome exhibiting a maladaptive repolarization response. The authors review the utility of four forms of provocation testing and provide some practical guidance for performing provocation testing. Ultimately, exercise testing when feasible is the most useful form of provocation testing when considering diagnostic sensitivity and specificity. We also have two research letters. The first one is lipomatous metaplasia as the most reliable computed tomography predictor for functional substrate localization in scar-related ventricular tachycardia. Although late gadolinium enhancement cardiomagnetic resonance imaging remains the gold standard in, for in-depth substrate characterization and the procedural guidance, CT may represent a viable alternative because of its widespread availability, smaller impact of implantable cardioverter defibrillator artifacts, and the potential for anatomic and substrate characterization from a single examination. A second research letter is titled Electrophysiological Characteristics of Left Bundle Branch Potential During Implantation. Based on electrophysiological characteristics, the left bundle branch potential was classified into two types. One, type A, manifest potential, in which a high frequency potential was noted immediately after lead deployment. And a two, type B, concealed potential, in which the potential was concealed within the slurred negative current of injury initially and uh, researched uh, over a few minutes gradually to form a predominant negative deflection followed by sharp biphasic potential. Understanding the electrophysiological characteristics of left bundle branch potential is important because it predicts selective capture and avoids lead perforation during implantation. Demonstration of a type B potential could be considered 
as the endpoint to avoid further rotations. The final article is devoted to the memory of Dr. Albert L. Waldo, who passed away on August 17, 2023. Dr. Waldo was an extraordinary mentor, colleague, and a friend who will be remembered for his scientific contributions, friendship, and humanity. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm Dr. Peng Xian Chen.